0: Old frap there with Twist. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, last Saturday, the community lost a legend, Miss Candy. In the studio, I have her dear friend, Brenton Guy. Brenton, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, James. It's great to be back at 3CR.
0: It's so good to see you. I wish it was under better circumstances. Tell us about
1: your beautiful friend, Candy. Well, I... I've been thinking a lot about Candy in the last week obviously and of course even beyond last week she never strays far from my mind um even though uh in recent years we we didn't hang out so much together our our our, our great friendship and um an association where we in fact joined at the hip for a long time during the 90s, 1990s, when Clubland was, was, was very different um, for me um, and a lot of people. Um, but um, when, when I got the news of her death, it was, just, it was just disbelief, really. I knew, and a lot of people um, who were close to her knew that she'd been in hospital um, for for about four weeks, having um, undergone a couple of operations um, that were debilitating, and we all thought, you know, she's going to pull through that. Um, she's going to be back up again, and she's going to be dancing on the stage any um, for, for for many more years. But you know, um, we all f- uh, we were faced with the mortality um, of one of our dearest friends, friends when we found out um, that she died. Tell us about her incredible
0: legacy as a performer spanning over 40 years.
1: It, it Well, it would be 40 years, James. When I think about it, we, we go back to the 1970s with Miss Candy. Um, I do remember that, uh, as was the fashion perhaps back in the 70s where drag queens took men took their male names, um, Doug Lucas, for example, and... Um, Stan Munro, another example. And before Miss Candy was invented as a concept, as a character, um, Ron um, went by the stage name of Glamorous Ron. Wow. Which I think is great fun.
0: An incredible, um, I guess, you know, fashion kind of performance connoisseur, um, but also she was formally trained. I remember once I was at Three Faces, and uh, Kerry LaGore, a great, you know, partner of hers uh, on stage, said that Miss Candy was formally trained. So beyond the kind of, you know, sometimes w- the the drunken kind of persona,
1: which she kind of hammed up, there was a very, very, very trained performer. Well, firstly, I wouldn't believe much that comes out of Kerry LaGore's mouth in that regard. <laughs> I don't know what she was alluding to. formally. Trained at what? I don't know. <laughs> um, she certainly had no dancing skills or miming skills, but that was part of the charm of her performance. Um, um, she may have been formally trained um, as a drinker. I would, I would suggest that.
0: You two were kind of legendary at the Hellfire Club in the nineties, and you'd kind of rock up about two a.m. during your dominatric phases. Tell us about that.
1: Well, we well we went through. Uh, I went through, and as uh, a lot of drag queens go through a few phases, and we just get we just get it into our head that we're going to look like this. Um, and it sticks. So our dominatrix tricks, dominate tricks phase was pretty much um, consisted of dressing up in S and M gear, and terrorizing Melbourne clubland, clubland with um, with that horror, um, with that horror of a look, um, PVC leather chains, ha- uh, harnesses and um, stirrups, and and the and the odd cat and nine tails was wielded around the clubs. But and the Hellfire Clan hellfire club was a great playground for stuff like that because really there were no rules there so we could we could go in there and um... pretty much terrorize um uh, people at, uh, on their own level at, at their own level
0: because of course your drag persona was Stella Constellation. Did you and
1: Candy ever perform together? Uh, yes, but um, um, not at first. At first, we were um, just great girlfriends who loved perching on a bar stool um, but until very late at night, all around town. Until the opportunity came up um, where we we were given um, a show at a club called VMs for Virgin Marys, that later known as VMs um, on Commercial Road in um, in South Yarra. We were given an odd times lot that no one had ever tackled in drag well before we were given 5 p.m on a Sunday afternoon drag is usually um, a, um, an art form that's um, reserved for late night um, we um, we thought well this is an interesting um, concept for a Saturday afternoon there's the fashion of the tea there's a um, a tradition of a tea dance um, where Sunday after or any afternoon really um, people um, people from our community have come together over the over the decades, um, um, and socialised, and um, the owner of Virgin Mary's thought, well, well, we'll give that a go, we'll put we'll put um, a drag show on at 5pm on a Sunday. It struggled at first, it took a few weeks to kick off, because um, it was such a new concept um, coming out that early. The, the concept was that if, if we get an early start, people will go home early and be at work on Monday, but that very rarely worked. And... Um, um people tended to stay out. And after a, a slow start, it really took off. And, and after a few weeks, there was a line-up to get in of, um, uh, of hundreds of people on a Sunday afternoon, which was thrilling.
0: And what was candy like to perform with?
1: Um, there, it was pretty much a uh, no-rules um, scenario. We could do whatever we wanted to do. We were uh, um, I, I let Candy go and, and perform whatever she wanted. I could perform whatever. Sometimes we had theme shows. Sometimes we, were themed, we had the Madonna theme show, the Carly Minogue theme show, the fair, the Cher um, show, etc. But um, beyond that, uh, she was just a heap of fun. Um, there were, no as I said, no rules, no expectations. Um, it didn't have to be necessarily very good. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't to be a solid... Polished performer. The point was to bring a sense of fun and joy to the room, and and I think Candy was an expert at that. And it's and it's well known that she wasn't that sharp when it came to dancing and or choreography, or or not that f- uh, f- flat flash on knowing the words, even to certain um, songs that she would uh, mime to. But that that was her gig, gig. Um, that was her gimmick. Um, and that was what made her so appealing. Um. And it it showed a vulnerability uh, to her that was endearing and um, made her one of the most loved performers on the drag scene for for several decades. So that's what made her a truly iconic Melbourne performer. Well, she she played up um, her failings. She played up the fact that... she, she would stumble over words and she would stumble over dance steps and she really made that her, her shtick if you like um, she really made that a part of her character, a part of her performance, a part of her routine to be not so polished and it was comedic I suppose and she really got the joke, she owned the joke she, um, people would often criticise Candy for oh she doesn't know the words or oh, she can't do that dance step but she, she was in on the joke and she created the joke I think sometimes she did know the words, but she
0: kind of made it that she didn't. She kind of mastered that, that shtick.
1: Yes, she, she mastered that element of comedy. And, and really, above um, everything else, Miss Candy was a comedian. She performed for over 40 years. What do you think enabled her to do that?
0: Because she uh, she worked in retail, you know, she made her own costumes...
1: What do you think kept her career going for so long? Just turning up, you know. I think I think if you just keep turning up, um, and Candy turned up all the time, um, year after night after night, year after year, decade after decade, an ever-present um, part of the drag scene. She just kept going. Um, she didn't lose her nerve. She um, 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 made it um, p- a part of her her. Her lifestyle, even though, as you said, she um, Ron worked in retail, in men's in men's fashion and other retail. Uh, I, in fact, got um, got became aware of who Ron and Candy was at the same time, but didn't connect the two people for a long time. I I came over. I grew up in Adelaide, and as a young young boy, I would. Um, well Adelaide didn't offer a great deal for me. Um, we'd come to Melbourne for a weekend or a long weekend um, in order to go shopping and clubbing and I came across um, this really stylish, elegant, dapper man in a shop called Mason's in South Yarra who sold um, a lot of imported gear like Giorgio Armani and Jean-Paul Gaultier and Claude Montana. You couldn't get that in Adelaide. Um, so that was um, where we went to shop and ended up being served by this dapper man named Ron and the next night I'd be at Seventh Heaven nightclub in in um, Carlton and there would be on stage this glamazon called Miss Candy. Little did I know that Ron and Candy were the same person um, but both separately and differently really impressed upon me um, the quality of, of who, the people that they were. Um, and their sense of style and and, and presence. Um, little did I know that they were the same person until um, quite a bit later.
0: So you knew Ron and Candy very well. What did Candy say to you about Ron
1: and vice versa? Oh, I don't know that there was a conversation like that ever. Um, um, Candy never alluded to Ron. Um, when Candy was Candy, she was Candy. And I think that's just part of being a part of what drag is. You, 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 you take on that character, and that's what it is. You, you stay in that character pretty much.
0: So, I mean, they looked incredibly different, but um, how, how different were their personalities?
1: Oh, they were uh, chalk and cheese, if you like. Um, Ron, Ron was very demure, Ron was very laid back, um, um, Ron was a very shy person and, and um, elegantly refined, whereas candy was quite the opposite. and I wouldn't call candy elegantly refined at all or shy. Um, I would call candy um, bombastic, um, uh, outrageous, um, bold, um, um, dominating and all of those words, you know could go on. but um, that they, they were the polar opposites in the way they had presented themselves.
0: It sounds like Ron really needed Candy in some way and that's why Candy performed for so long because Ron really needed her.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a whole psychology behind it and I think a lot of people who, are uh, a lot of guys who go... Into drag and developed drag personas could probably um, be described the same. Um, one is reliant on the other to make a whole life, um, which is great. And I, certainly, in my in my experience, having um, developed a drag character, that drag character allowed me as Brenton to to do to just go in a different direction and to and to and go down different paths and 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 have different experiences. As Stella, that I would never ever have um, been exposed to as Brenton, and I think that's probably similar with Candy and a lot of drag queens. Um, the reason they they develop drag queen um, personalities is not necessarily for a love of performance, um, but uh, but for a need to explore. Different avenues and go down different roads and tracks and see different things and and meet different people and have different experiences to to what they otherwise would have been able to have. And Ron never tired of being candy. Oh no, it, oh no, he was tireless. Um, in fact, so tireless he'd often go. We we would often go for days and days and days, um, without taking a breath. Um, when we were clubbing full time, pretty much. Um went from nightclubs to dayclubs to nightclubs to dayclubs and um it's no secret that ron like, uh, candy liked to drink um, so managed to sustain himself herself on um, a, um um on a routine of um beer scotch and coke um whatever else came across the bar um a lot of us in the 90s took drugs but um to keep going but candy was very anti-drugs it must be said didn't like didn't like it at all when people took drugs and 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 Candy ne- certainly never took drugs herself. Wow! So um, it was the alcohol that gave her the courage. I don't know how she did it. I don't know how she did it. <laughs>
0: So what was Stella and Candy like on those on those extraordinary I don't want to call them binges but they kind of sound well, like they were oh, drag binges look, look
1: there, there was one big the, the 1990s were pretty much one big binge for us um yeah, in terms of um running around in, in club clubland um we were pretty much um an inseparable duo for a long time we'd arrive at clubs together, hang out together, perform together, leave clubs together and uh, and taxi around town and I must say that um, when when I th- um, think about it some of the, the funniest times and some of the most memorable and, and endearing times that I have had with Miss Candia in the back of taxis hopping around late night Melbourne from venue to venue. Um, th- those journeys um, from from Commercial Road over to over to the Peel and from the Peel down to to another club um, at three in the morning, four in the morning, even seven in the morning. Um, th- those conversations in the backs back of taxis were really special. The antics, the stories, the laughter. I, I really um, don't have the chance to belly laugh much anymore. Not 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 that I'm being morbid, but but um, but the belly laughter came. Um, a regular part of my life when when I was um, with um, going out um, and hanging out with Miss Candy, the, the the tears would roll down your face, and you'd get a, a, a sore belly from laughter, um, particularly in in the backs of taxis.
0: Is there an anecdote you can share? You know, is there a particular performance that Candy gave, for example, where mm. you just went, "Oh my god!" Oh. <laughs>
1: um each performance was like that it's it's really um, difficult to, um, to to explain how each performance was so different and so unique and, and brought to the audience and the room something very special and different every time well that was from my point of view anyway you you may as I said a different response from an audience, audience member and different memories from from audience members they're probably the ones who who were go- who would be the great ones to ask of memories of, of Candy's performance because I We'd only see it from the sidelines or, or back or backstage. Um, um, so I saw I saw a very diff- different point of view of being immersed in, in it, rather than a, a, um, an observer and a and a, and a viewer. But um, um, I'm going to have to start putting um, putting my um, thoughts down on on paper. I think because there are so many that shouldn't be lost so many stories that shouldn't be lost and um, so many stories that should be re- um, shared.
0: Stellar Constellation, your drag persona, had a great rapport with Candy. Who were some of the other performers that she really
1: gelled with on stage? Well, C- Candy, um, um, as I said earlier, was performing, um, has been performing since the 1970s and there were there were drag troops um um, associated with that, called the Troll Dolls, I think, is one of them. Um, there was a trio that um, comprised um, Miss Candy, Barbara Quicksand, and Levi Jones, who um, were called the Transistors, I think, um, who performed um, on at the Inflation in King Street. So Barbara Quicksand has been a, um, a mainstay for um, in Miss Candy's personal and and professional career. Um, um, I remember then in the, the 80s came along and um, Gavin Brown who had Seventh Heaven at the Cadillac Bar um, put Miss Candy on the big stage there and has had a, um, and and, and for, then formed a troupe called Big Big Black and Bitter um, where um, Candy performed with Gavin who whose um, stage name was Hot Coco and um, Paul Hayes whose stage name was Victoria Bitter. Um, Their show Big Black and Bitter moved from Seventh Heaven to, uh, to Three Faces. Um, Candy was definitely um, one of the key um, um, stage presences of Three Faces in the Market Hotel over the years, performing in a trio called The Lipsticks. And The Lipsticks comprised Kerry LaGore, Joyne Manganini, Miss Candy, and I think maybe even Zoe um, Knox at some, at some point. Um, um, there were lots and lots of troops um, and, and um, drag groups Candy was a part of over the years. Um, our show at Virgin Mary was, was called First at Five um, and we were just the, we were the, two of the two of us together and we had um, um, special guests that would come on every week to assist us. Um, most recently Miss Candy was a, a, a regular at DT's Hotel in Richmond where every Saturday night her and her co-star Sue Ridge would um, um, present the show to the to the grateful to the grateful um, public of DTS, Candy has performed with really generations of, of
0: of drag artists. What do you think her most defining aspect of her legacy is?
1: Oh, she's known as a, a drag mother, so um, um, a lot of young drag, we call them baby drags really, and a lot of the baby drags of the nineties are now um more less baby drag (laughs) Um, but um candy's always been a mentor to um a lot of baby drags coming up and one who wanting wanting to someone to look up to and follow and um mold themselves into um there's been a few out there that have become miss candy impersonators which is great lots of fun and um and others who have have developed their own um, drag personas and created their own legacy in drag as drag queens. Um, So um, Miss Candy has been a pioneer in that she has as as I described before been a stayer. Never never not turning up, always turning up, ever-present and um, therefore having a reputation as um, a matriarch, as a mother for a lot of drag queens and a lot of our, um, our, our gay community. It's so interesting. Like, on stage, I never would have thought Miss Candy was a
0: mother, but obviously she was a, a nurturing mentor backstage, in the back of the taxi and a-
1: privately. A- a- absolutely. Um, um, so By supporting young drag queens, by as, um, assisting them in their performance, assisting them in, in integrating them into the scene, um... um because I guess this, the drag community, to a certain extent, is a sisterhood. Not always. I've heard it described as a viper's nest. Um, so that's a whole other story. And, um, but Candy was very much part of that motherhood stuff, that sisterhood stuff of, um, of, of um, enveloping um, and um, harnessing and promoting the talents um, of, of young drag queens coming up.
0: She really was a segue between eras, wasn't she and our 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 scene has changed so much, like the golden fifty meters on commercial road that's basically gone it's gone um candy was the link between eras,
1: and now she's gone mm. it's a huge mm. loss it's a huge loss because I don't know that um that there's really anyone um, around now that has been performing with the consistency of years that Miss Candy has been over that for over those four decades of course um, there are queens around who have been who were performing in the 70s 80s 90s and 2000s who perhaps have, have retired since but Candy was never one to retire we never ever thought that that she would And in fact she didn't as it turns out she didn't get a chance to retire but um, But um, so Candy's um, has left us at uh, a brilliant time, really, at at the height of her career, still Um, whip smart, uh, constantly um, out there, um, 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 uh, at the top of her game, really, which is a great way to finish, isn't it?
0: absolutely absolutely um do you worry that that history will be lost you know
1: that there, there won't be that nurturer
0: that's got those you know decades of experience or do you think maybe some people will step up from retirement?
1: already look that 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 sort of um that's the, the drag community is very strong not not only um not only here in Melbourne but all around the world um drag is here to stay as a concept and and drag is here to stay as a community and um, as a motherhood and a sisterhood, it's very important that communities have that sense of belonging um, and have that, um, those, indi- those individuals um, that allow that sense of belonging and sense of nurturing to, to guide them and to form those communities around them. I think that it would always exist, James, um, and Miss Candy's legacy will live on for a long, long time because her performance career has been so well documented Um, um, not only um, the performance that she provided to to our community, but the broader community as well.
0: Brenton Guy, thank you for coming into the studio and paying tribute to the wonderful life of Miss Candy.
1: Thank you, James. And if I could just um, announce the details of the celebration.
0: Ah, yes, there is a
1: celebration. If there's a minute for me to do that. Please do. Um, um, the celebration will be held on Monday the 1st of August. Um, it's a two-parter. Um, the first part will be at the St Kilda Town Hall between 4pm and 6pm, followed by Chasers Nightclub in um in um South Yarra, um between six thirty and ten thirty for the for for a party. The, the the first part at the St Kilda Town Hall will be a celebration of Ron's life. The second part at Chaser's Night Club will be a celebration of Miss Candy.
0: Can you give us a clue about some of the performances? I don't
1: know, James. I, I don't know. Look, um, I want to pay tribute at this point to Barbara Quicksand, if I could, quickly for um, taking on the enormous task of organising all of this. And uh, Barbara's probably scrambling around now through her little black bookers to see who she can dredge up from the past that's appropriate to perform on the at, at the tribute and at the celebration. But it'll be a cast of thousands, James, um, and we're expecting a huge crew, so get uh, a huge um, audience, so get there early
0: Brenton Guy thanks again wonderful to chat with you wonderful to see you in the studio here at 3CR you are an in your face on 3CR and here's Shaka Khan
1: oh that's great Jack
2: Some days I felt all connection was gone And I lost sight of my surroundings Her photograph made me stand still And turned a moment into magic Like with that look So alluring and confusing left me wanting more of that look Lips so full and eyes a-blazing She left me crazy in that look The pandemic has made us slow down We've struggled with I was hanging out in Austin one night and placed her photograph on my wall. I was mesmerized by her mystery, and my heart started pounding with that look so More of that look Lips so full And eyes are blazing.
0: wisconsin helen counts there that look and thank you so much to helen for sending us that track we love it you are an in your face on 3cr with james well recently i had the great pleasure of chatting with bent tv legend lindsay karaleff joined by community treasure lindsay karaleff lindsay welcome to the show welcome back
3: Oh, thank you, James. Thank you. I always love my introductions, you know, to hear what people are going to come up with next, but I like that. Well, you are a
0: community treasure. Uh, You're a Bent TV legend. And you were back on Channel 31 last Friday. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, I was. It came a bit as a bit of a surprise actually, because I always said, no, I'm never doing anything like that again, you know. And and for me, it's a bit a bit about relevance as well. Like our, our era, like has sort of passed. So really, what can I contribute? So I had to sort of wreck my brain and go back in time to the Trishas days because um, Lance asked me about Trishas and and things like that. And it was sort of um, look. I have to admit, it was nice actually to to be back on air and and um, and I think it was a good interview. Actually, I think Lance and um, Um, Oh, golly, I can't remember her co-host now. now. Um, Anyway, whoever. um, Yeah, it was good. It was fun. I enjoyed it.
0: You really don't think your time has passed. I mean, people just love
3: you. Oh stop! Well, it has really because you know I'm very proudly a baby boomer, and then, and you just hear everybody switch off Ben. But um, and our era, like we've put in our fights, you know what I mean. And it's sort of up to the younger generation now. Of course, we're always there. We're, we're still fighting for LGBT, what is it, QA et cetera, right? But yeah, you know, you know who wants to see a you know chubby old Leso on their TV screens now? I don't know. I
0: think lots of people do. It sounds like you're surrendering to ageism.
3: (laughs) No, 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 no. Not not surrendering as much as being a little bit more aware of it, I think.
0: (laughs) So you were on Bent TV for so long. Tell us about your time on Bent TV.
3: Um, Honestly, James, it was one of the most brilliant times in my life. I... Personally, I learnt an awful lot about people, especially about gay people. I learnt, um, I learnt why people join community groups, and, and honestly, the reasons are many. Um, and during my time at Ben TV, we had a fantastic volunteer base and we were producing, I think, two and a half hours of TV every Monday night. Now, you know, back in the analogue days, that was really hard work. It used to take something like 24 hours to render a half-hour show. So, you know, you'd be sitting there, you know, 24-7 you know, editing and stuff like that and Channel 31, although I can't remember, was probably only about oh, maybe 10 years old or something. It was, it was still going through its own growth period, you know, its own learning curve so to speak. So we were also to learning together. But, um, and I can say that, you know, even to this day, like the volunteers now that when I bump into them, they say to me that back then they had no idea what they were doing. And one of my... Um I don't know, sort of something that I really loved was knowing that on a Monday night, some homophobe could be out there, you know, surfing through the channels, see our fabulous show and watch for a minute and then see that it was gay and just switch off. But, you know, the glory is there that we actually got into their lounge room and they actually watched us. So politically, I think Bent TV did an awful lot. I think we did an awful lot for rights as well. And, um, and we produced some fantastic tally in that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you did so much for lesbian visibility at a time when, you know, lesbians were not, outwardly anyway, on primetime TV.
3: No, no, they weren't. And, um, and I, I was actually the only one I found out from a friend who worked in media. And, um, and like, Bent TV had a reach. Like, we were, oh, look, in the, on the early days, or oh, sorry, in the early days, um, what was it, Optus Vision? And they had a community station that just it didn't work for them. But people in Queensland were getting Bent TV. So, um, you know, I know kids, I've met kids that, you know, in that era that were still at high school, had a TV in their bed room um they were watching us in their bedroom and you know it was helping them to come out so you know i I think bent tv did an awful lot and and, you know and the kids just don't get the recognition for it
0: it's amazing that so many years later you found out that you were the first out lesbian you know that had a prime time tv show uh it's amazing if something like that happened now because of social media you know people would know within a matter of minutes
3: Yeah, exactly. And and look, I get a a little bit annoyed because, you know, look, not only for me, but there was you know we were all out you know everybody on channel 30 on bent tv was out, and they never ever got the recognition and i understand like you know um like the rebel wilson's you know they're very famous they're very talented and when they come out or they have a girlfriend or you know they throw up their morning's toast it becomes really big news and and we you know and these kids just never got the kudos and and that saddens me because and a couple of times too on the on the social media i have actually mentioned, you know, that you know, okay, someone's come out but at the same time, I was working with kids that were really putting themselves at, at some risk, being young, gay and on TV so... But as far as I go, sort of being the most out um, lesbian on TV at that stage, it's a cap I wear rather proudly.
0: And so you should, because, you know, for so many people, it was a big risk, not just in terms of like the fact that they were outing themselves and the safety issues associated with that. But, you know, being out as a media person kind of killed so many careers, didn't it?
3: Oh, it has, and look, no doubt it still will, you know, and especially now that, you know, you can be, you know, having a snog with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and someone's filming it and you're not out, you know what I mean? It's, it's a totally different dynamic these days, and sometimes I don't think it's a healthy dynamic because, you know, I'm a firm believer that people need to come out when they're comfortable, and I think the, the best um, example there would be somebody like Ian Thorpe, you know, he really struggled with that, and then he comes out and people say, oh, well, he should have come out earlier, blah, 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 you know, Think about yourself, and you're coming out, and then think about the other community workers out there that have really pushed themselves out there to to do the best for the community. And you are putting yourself at risk, or you know, back in those days, more risk than what they are now.
0: A couple of years ago, you told me that you'd never actually watched a tape of you on TV. Is that still the case?
3: It still is, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Why not? Um, No, I just don't want to know. It's sort of, I just don't want to know. Actually, there was one case when we did our first um, live-to-air at Ben TV and we actually used, um, oh, God, uh, the RMIT studios and we went to the exchange for a drink afterwards and I actually caught glimpses and I just went, oh, my God, no, I'm never looking at this again. But, um, no, no, I've never watched. I I just, um, I live in fear if you ever to sort of scare me to death or torture me, just put me down a couple of old tapes of me and I'm a goner. Do
0: you think that was your winning strategy though? You know, that, that that's why it was so good because it was very much about you being in the moment without that pressure of, Oh my God, you know, I've got to do this and that you just lived it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think I did James actually. And I, and, and it was that thing, look, I'm, I'm not saying that I was so confident or anything like that, but, you know, there were nights that, especially after Squeal, I'd go home and think, what the hell have I said? Are we going to be sued? You know, because sometimes we went very close to the line. But one of the great things about Squeal is we knew how far we could push the envelope, and then a couple of shows later we'd push it a little bit further. But, it, you know, it doesn't mean to say that I'd go out for, you know, dinner after a shoot or something like that, and my fork was shaking on the plate.
0: Did you ever light the switchboard up at 31?
3: Oh, yes, many times, many times. But, see, when um, the show went to air... Um, there was nobody in the office because it, I think we kicked off at something like eight o'clock on a Monday night, and uh, but we'd go into the office and the answering, you know, the oldie world, the answering machine would be full. Ch- sometimes Channel Thirty One, their, um, you know, voicemail would be full because of things that we'd said. And, you know, there was one person one night we had a um, a guy come in, this beautiful young man, and he was doing our makeup, and he arrived late, and people actually rang in and said, you know, was I uh, asked if I. I was okay because the first half of the show they noticed I wasn't wearing makeup, and the next part of the show I was wearing makeup. You know, was like, did I have a fever or something like that? So it was great to get any sort of feedback. But yeah, many times we lit it up,
0: and that's fantastic because you know they obviously really cared about the show, and they were obviously watching pretty regularly.
3: Well, you know, amazingly, it, our audience was predominantly straight. Wow,
0: why do you yes. think that was?
3: Um, I don't know. I think. You know, look. The wonder of all this is is that people still, to this day, will stop me on the street and have a chat. I thought that it was all forgotten and gone. But one woman said to me that she used to watch Bent TV. She found out about Bent TV, and she used to watch it because she had a son who was coming out and really struggling with it. He wouldn't watch Bent TV because he was a little bit uncomfortable, but she would watch, and she said she learnt so much. And you know, and one of my favourite shows was when um, oh, look, I can't remember. What it was some article that. Was was floating around and you know we were accused of being really different blah 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 and our comment was basically yeah we're really different we get up in the morning we have a shower we've got kids they have to be fed put off to school you know our lives are not much different except we're same-sex attracted and that and that night you know like everything went off we got mail it was amazing the response we had from that so basically our um our audience was straight people tuning in. Like, there were builders. There was one group that were builders that would meet on a Monday night to watch Pink TV. I mean, there's, you know, big, ocker blokes, and they're watching us on telly. So our Reach, I guess, was amazing, but it was still the straight people, and they watched it for so many different reasons.
0: And I guess that just shows the mystique about being gay or lesbian or queer back Mm. then that doesn't so much, you know, exist now. It was a more kind of edgy, radical thing to be, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, it was, and like you know, when I was very, very young, and um, you know, in the seventies, and going out, you know, I think it was about fourteen or something. You felt sort of special, you know, because oh, here I am, I'm you know, gay, I'm coming out, and you know, I'm going to Spangles and Jan's Dances and God knows where else. And and it was, you know, and I was, I've always been really upfront. If I don't go into I never used to go into any new positioning, you know, like a screaming lesbian, hey, I'm gay. But if somebody asked me, of course, I'd tell them the truth. So it was up to them how they responded. And, and you know, it's like some of the questions I've been asked about being gay. And in the end, I just take the staff out to a nightclub, a gay nightclub, and let them sort it out from there.
0: You must have interviewed some great legends of the Melbourne queer entertainment scene in your time on 31.
3: Oh, God, you know, and I can't remember. No, the one I remember most is, um, of course, Richard Morrison, um, Jenny Pineapple. Um, we interviewed a guy that was... Um, the curator for a London queer art festival um like yeah like I couldn't I'd have to sit down and really wreck my brain but honestly and around mid-summer time as well um there'd be so many queer artists that we'd interview we'd get down to the Laird and film the art show at the Laird and interview women of course that were allowed into the Laird to get their response but many 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 James
0: And of course, you know, that was at a time when there were lots of queer venues. You know, the community revolved largely around venues, and that's not the case anymore.
3: No, it's not, and it's look. It's really sad because I, I really hope that young gay people, you know, you know, GLBT. You know, if I just use the you know terminology, gay, it's everybody. But like when I was young, we every night of the week I was out every night. Like you know, Tuesday night was the only non-gay night when we went to the movies because it was cheap Tuesday. But there were venues. There was you know, um, there were women's venues open on a Thursday night. There were mixed venues on the weekend, and then I and I think social media has really killed a lot of this and I noticed things changing in the 90s you know like I always say that the music died at Mardi Gras 1993 because after that it became you know um, very heavy sort of hip hop rap things like that that I just don't relate to I just have no idea it doesn't agree with the beat of my heart or something but and now I just I hope that these kids are having as much fun as we do because you know there's just nothing around like if i Somebody asked me, you know, take me to a lesbian venue. I said, I don't know if one exists anymore. And, and that's what it's like.
0: Well, you manage the iconic Glass House Hotel as well. Um, and so that must be really sad for you to think, oh, my God, are there any lesbian venues around? I mean, I think it's sad. I used to love going to the Glass House. Um, yeah. you know, and you must have gone to the Kingston Hotel in Richmond in the 80s as
2: well.
3: Oh God, yes, I sort of, I used to sort of avoid those places because the, um, like well, I actually had a I actually had a partner a few, oh, quite a few years ago now, and on Friday nights, um, she worked at Melbourne Uni. So Friday nights we'd go to Lygon Street for something to eat, and then we'd go to the Kingston. And because we were both sort of corporate, I guess we'd turn up in our corporate gear. And every Friday night, James, we were the new girls. Nobody came near us. Nobody wanted to speak to us. And in the end, we just thought, oh no, we're not doing this anymore. But um, I've seen some rather horrific things happened at the Kingston Hotel but they were never really my venues. Like in actual fact, I used to find some um, dyke venues really intimidating because some of those girls were a bit rough and, um, and they, like I've seen um, uh, billiard queues, go across the, the bar and all sorts of things happened at the Kingston and there there was a cook there and on Saturday nights I used to go there regularly with a friend of mine because the cook was fantastic we'd have something to eat and then sort of scurry through the fights on the way out
0: <laughs> I mean you did make the glass house your own, you were the manager for six months, um, yep. do you really wish it would come back? I mean I, I think so many people do. Look
3: I think I think what Lesbians need, and also, you know, I'm including trans, and you know, non-binary, etc. That still identify as women or lesbian or something. I mean, you've got to watch all this these days. I don't mean to offend anybody, but what we really need is a venue that's a pub or a building where it's a safe space. You know, there's a reading room, there's a little venue, there's a little cafe. You know what I mean? Just somewhere where young gay women can feel incredibly. Safe because there's nowhere for them to feel safe. And that's probably my major concern, is that the lesbian venues, were, they were a safe place. They were a place where guys would not get in. Like I had an open-door policy at the glass house, but at the same time, if you were a guy and you came in and you misbehaved, you were out, never to return. And that's what I think, you know, especially younger women now, and especially when they're trying to come to grips with being non-binary, you know, gender-fluid and things like that, A safe space is absolutely required. And honestly, if I won Tats Lotto, that would be one thing that I would do.
0: Lindsay, finally, after returning to TV last Friday on 31, did you get the taste for going back? Can we see you making a pitch to return to Bent TV?
3: Oh no, I don't think so. No, I just um, look. It was good to do that, and look, I've got always got a few ideas in my head. Like one of the things I would love to do is have a panel like we had at Squeal, but you know, have you know mix that panel up every every week and have like young gay people who identify as gay males, um, young people who identify as non-binary, old, you know, like baby boomers, things like that, and get a really broad cross section of our community as it is now, and. Run it like squeal and talk about what's going on. You know what I mean? Things like that that really need to be spoken about and actually, you know, sort of hit the youth of today so that when they're sitting in their bedroom or on their laptop watching, they, they know where to go. They, there's something out there. So, yeah, if I, want, if I want a shitload of money, that's what I'd do.
0: <laughs> Lindsay Carole, always station. always superb to chat with you on 3CR. Thank you so much. It's always a great pleasure and honour to have you on the show.
3: Oh, great. Thank you, James. And you take good care. Cheers. OK, cheers for now.
0: The wonderful Lindsay Curraliff there, who I had the pleasure of chatting with, live to air in June. You are on In Your Face on 3CR, and here's Sam Smith with Burma Boy.
2: <laughs> You're thinking that I see